Welcome to our final week of our series that we're calling Hair. And uh, we've been looking at the stories in the Bible that deal with people's hair. I think we say the best until last today. I was thinking that every time I stand up here to preach or teach, I get readings from you people. I look at your facial expressions and you're communicating things to me. For an example, sometimes some of your faces say, come on, Lou, preach it. You're doing great. These warm, encouraging facial expressions. Other times I get readings like, I'm 50-50 on you. I'll give you about three minutes to get good and then I'm going to tune you out. Uh, Sometimes I get readings from people that say, I can't believe you just said that. Uh, One time I got a reading from someone, I guess they were bored during my sermon. So the guy goes, out loud during my sermon. That was very encouraging. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because one day Jesus was preaching his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And he said something that elicited certain facial expressions from the people. Really a look of confusion. Listen to what he said in Matthew 5.20. Jesus said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness, your morality, your ethics, your character... Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus said those words, it was like he threw a hand grenade into the crowd. And I'm sure their facial expressions seemed a bit confused. Here's why. You see, the Pharisees were the world record holders of righteousness. They were addicted to righteousness. They had quit their jobs to do righteousness full time. Not only did they obey the scriptures, but they made hundreds of additional rules to sort of border their behavior so they would never get outside of the righteousness fence. And now here is Jesus saying to non-religious people, non-Pharisees, unless your righteousness surpasses their righteousness, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What could Jesus possibly mean by this? Well, maybe a prop will help. Uh, I enjoy watching uh, basketball and believe in great things for the Phoenix Suns this year. And uh, so I'm going to ask a few volunteers to help me out. I'd like my nephew, my great nephew, Evan, to come forward right now. Evan is an upcoming basketball star. And I'd like my dad, Pastor Tommy Barnett, the legend, to come forward as well. So, Evan, um, you're, you're a great basketball player. Face the crowd here, if you would. Except for the shirt you're wearing, the Los Angeles. Clippers, I assume. Lakers, doesn't matter. I'd pull for the Taliban over the Lakers, I want you to know. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I guess you're a pretty good dribbler. Let me, let me, let me see some stuff. Show us what you got. All right. Let me see that ball for a second. Let's see what you got. Don't hurt yourself. All right. Okay. Wrong sport. That's soccer. Pele. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a little shooting contest. This is a multi-generational shooting contest. And age before beauty. So I'm going to let my dad go first. And you're going to shoot, Evan, you see this little mark here? 
that's where we're gonna shoot from. My dad can shoot from up here if you want. Okay, so take your jacket off, you would. Oh. So this is the mark right here. And you get five attempts. Come over here, Evan, help me. It's higher than it used to be. Or maybe you're just a few years older than you used to be. All right. Okay. Oh, that's pretty good. Let me just step closer. Okay, he needs a little help. Come on, he needs a little help from the crowd. Oh, you're getting too far back there. One more. You get two more chances. Oh, one more, one more. Okay, I'll go next and we'll save the beauty until last. Hold this, would you? Be glad to. <clears throat> Don't get nervous, son. That's the last one he'll make right there. You practiced this morning. I didn't practice. Did you hear what they said about you? Well, it, it was a very... Uh, I, You're like the enemy whispering in my ear. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> now, Evan, it's four out of five. No pressure. You see the mark? Whoa! Just like his grandpa. That doesn't count. Oh, warm up. Okay, here we go. Is here for Evan. Come on, raise it up. Whoa! I'm going to put the Hawaiian heebie-jeebies on it. Yes, sir. Works. You can keep this as a souvenir. Evan and I will sign it for you afterward. <laughs> Give our volunteers a good hand. You can be seated. Once you get them on the platform, you can't get them off the platform. Now look, when I was uh, about 20 years old, one time I hit 49 consecutive free throws. And about a month later, I was trying to beat that record. I hit 49 again and choked on the 50th free throw. I thought I was doing pretty good. I thought, man, not many people can do that. And so I read the Guinness Book of World Records and found that the record for consecutive free throws is 2,740 by a 71-year-old man back in 1991. Now I was thinking about this. Imagine I was down at the gymnasium shooting free throws and Jesus Christ walks in. 
And he says, Luke, I'm recruiting a basketball team to play in the NBA. And I want you to play point guard for me. I'm going to call them the Phoenix Suns, S-O-N-S, the Phoenix Sons of God. The only requirement for being on my team is you have to hit 10,000 consecutive free throws. What do you think I'd say? You've got to be kidding me. The most I've ever hit is 49 in a row. The world record is 2,740. And you're asking me to do that four times over again. I'll never be able to do that. I'll never be able to raise my game to that standard of excellence. See, that's how the people felt when they heard Jesus say, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What could Jesus possibly mean by this? Well, he gives us a few hints as he continues his message. In the next section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this is what he says. He said, you've all heard it's been said in the Old Testament of old, you shall not murder. But I say unto you, do you hate anybody from your heart? Do you have anybody in your life, in your world, when you think of them or when you see them, you say, I just hate this person. They are a jerk. I wish harm would come upon them. Do you hate anybody from the heart, Jesus said. Then he said, most of you have probably never committed adultery. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I want to ask you, between you and me, do you ever think about exciting sexual encounters with people other than your spouse? Or maybe with someone else if you're not married? Have you ever looked at a magazine or a, or a video and reduced a human being, an image bearer of God, to just an object that you can use for your own personal gratification and then discard when you're done with them? Do you ever lust from your heart? Then Jesus said, do you always tell the truth? Do you tell the truth from your heart? Or do you say things like, yeah, the check's in the mail, or I'm just borrowing these company supplies. Do you always tell the truth? Are my hints helping you understand what Jesus meant when he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. If you haven't guessed it yet, what Jesus is saying is this. Listen carefully. No longer are righteousness meters going to be strapped to hands and feet and eyes and ears or tongues of people in order to find out if their external compliance and their incompliance with my kingdom standards of righteousness. It's a new day. From here on out, righteousness meters are going to be strapped to the hearts of people. And those righteousness meters are going to monitor the true, the hidden condition and motivation of the heart. That's what's really going to tell the story in my kingdom. Jesus says, in my kingdom, external compliance will not cut it. I'm looking for people whose spirituality emanates from a radically transformed heart and a grace-invaded core. Skin-deep spirituality and cosmetic conformity to kingdom rules and kingdom laws will no longer be acceptable. I'm asking you to be righteous to the core. Righteous to the core. Righteous in the heart. And when I see someone who's righteous to their core, I will consider that being 10,000 free throws hit consecutively. Wow, everywhere Jesus went, he'd bump into people 
who just wanted to have a skin deep conversation about kingdom cosmetics. They wanted to argue about Sabbath day restrictions or dietary customs or temple protocols. And over and over, Jesus would gently turn the focus of the conversation from a skin deep level to a heart exposing level. He was always trying to help people understand what was really going on in their hearts. And when he helped them see the true condition of their hearts and they asked him to change their hearts. Wow. That's when the life change happened. So in this final message in our series called Hair, I just want to tell you two stories from the Bible that will help all of us better understand what it really means to be righteous to the core. Righteous to the core. First story is found in Luke chapter 7, and I'll start reading verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, one translation calls her a whore or a prostitute, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came in there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Can you imagine this? Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this is what's in his heart now, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered and said, Simon... I have something to tell you. Now hit the pause button for just a moment. There is this theology professor named Simon. The Bible calls him a Pharisee. And he wants to have a one-on-one debate with Jesus. He thinks he can really teach Jesus some things about God and about religion. So he invites Jesus to his home for a formal dinner. And he has all kinds of trick catch-22 questions that he's going to pose to Jesus to try to trap him and embarrass him. And he's really excited about having this religious alley fight. When Jesus shows up at his house, Simon forgets about all the cultural courtesies and proper greetings of the day. For an example, one of the greetings was a kiss. You would you'd welcome the guest and kiss his hand or, or kiss him on the cheek as a form of welcome, it was cultural. Something else was, it was custom to wash the feet of the guests because they'd wear sandals and they'd walk on dusty roads and you wanted to make the guests feel comfortable. So they'd wash their feet. Something else, they would provide olive oil to refresh their face, to refresh their hair. It was a way of freshening up. Now look, Simon, the Pharisee, doesn't do any of that. He just invites Jesus in and says, just sit right down. And he starts right in with his trick questions, trying to entrap Jesus. Another cultural detail is these kinds of gatherings were often attended by the people of the town. Because, you know, Simon was a very important man. Jesus had a reputation for doing miracles. So people would gather around the table and they'd listen to the conversation and they'd watch the two uh, enjoy dinner together. It was kind of entertainment. In the crowd that day, watching all this, was a prostitute named Mary. And Mary's life had been touched by Jesus a couple days earlier. She had been forgiven by Jesus, offered new life by Jesus. And she now observes that Jesus has been disrespected, dishonored by Simon the theologian. 
So in a very moving way, she falls down at Jesus's feet. Imagine this. She begins to kiss the feet of Jesus over and over and over again. And she begins to weep and cry and her tears drench the feet of Jesus. So she lets her hair down, which only happened really in the bedroom in those days. Women cover their hair. And she begins to dry the tears with her feet. Then she has a very expensive bottle of perfume, an alabaster box, and she pours this costly perfume over the feet of Jesus. Now, when she does all this, she's touching Simon. And Simon goes ballistic. I mean, she's, she's, she's touching Jesus, rather. And Simon goes ballistic. He says, that settles it, that's it. And he's ready to pounce on Jesus. Because one of the rules of the Pharisees was that a rabbi, and Jesus was a rabbi, could not rub elbows with a person like Mary, who was a woman of the night, or previously was a woman of the night. And so he sees all this happening, and he's ready to pounce on on Jesus, Simon is. Jesus senses this. So he says, Simon, I know there's something that you want to say to me. But before you say it, can I ask you a question? You're a theology professor. Can I give you a little pop quiz? Look at verse 41. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 5,000 to one and 500 to the other, but neither of them could pay him back. So he kindly forgave them both, letting them keep the money. Which do you suppose loved him the most after that, Jesus says? Well, I suppose the one who had owed him the most, Simon answered. Correct, Jesus agreed. Simon, when I entered your home, you didn't bother to offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You refused me the customary kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I walked in here. You neglected the usual courtesy of olive oil to anoint my, my head, but she has covered my feet with rare perfume. Therefore, her sins, Simon, and there are many. She's a prostitute are forgiven for she loved me much but the one who is forgiven little and Simon you think you don't need very much forgiveness because you're so righteous well you show little love wow what a story can I just paraphrase this real, real quick Jesus says Simon look you invited me for dinner and I know why you wanted to get in this religious spiraling match with me And you were so anxious to, you know, to get in this spiritual wrestling match with me that you didn't even honor me from your heart enough to wash my feet when I walked in or or to give me a greeting kiss or to provide some oil to refresh my, my body. Simon, there isn't an ounce of honor or love or respect in your heart for me. And that's just the truth about your heart, Simon. You don't worship me. You don't love me. And then while you were so focused on entrapping me, a woman came in, Simon. You saw her. You know about her past. And because I had met her earlier, I forgave her and and I, I gave her a brand new life. That's what I do, Simon. Let me tell you about her heart. Her heart is so bursting with love and gratitude and worship for me that she washed my feet with her tears. And she kissed my feet over and over again. And she poured expensive perfume all over my feet to anoint them. I mean, it was just coming out of her, Simon. 
She couldn't hold it back because she loved me so much and she worshiped me so much. And I imagine Jesus saying, Simon, externally, you're doing really good. Man, you've hit 2,740 free throws. You're the world champ. While she has a shady past and she can't even hit two straight, much like my dad, amen. But because of the way my kingdom works, don't miss this, in my eyes, that woman just hit 10,000 straight free throws. Her righteousness exceeds your righteousness because she's righteous to the core. She's righteous in her worship. See, Simon, it's not a rule thing. It's a heart thing. And that woman is righteous to her core. Are you seeing it here today? One more story. This one comes out of Mark chapter 5. I think I've saved the best to last. Jesus is invited by the Pharisees and scribes to speak in their synagogue. And it's for all the wrong reasons. The Pharisees who invited him, they don't care about what Jesus is going to say. They invite him to their synagogue because they want to entrap him. They want to do a sting and somehow trap Jesus in their laws. Here's how the trap worked. One of the Old Testament laws was honor the Lord, honor the Lord, honor God on the Sabbath day. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Old Testament law taught that you should work for six straight days. On the seventh day, you should rest and focus on worshiping the Lord. It was meant for the well-being of God's people. It's better to rest one day out of the week. But the Pharisees they had added two to 300 addendums to the law. And you couldn't even pick up a pail to, to water your animals or pick up a fork that was too heavy to feed yourself because they put all these parameters around the law. It, was, it, it became a man-made law and not a God thing. Here's what they did. They invite Jesus to speak at their synagogue and he agrees to come. Then they comb the city. Now catch this. They comb the city to find a handicapped guy. Now, I want you to picture this. They're walking around the city looking for a man who had some kind of disfigurement. And they find a guy with a terribly disfigured hand. The kind of disfigurement that made him want to hide his hand under the table when he was eating. It was an embarrassing unsightly withered hand so they approach this guy and they say boy are we glad to meet you we want you to be our honored guest in the synagogue to hear Jesus the miracle worker preach and who knows I see your hand there he may just heal your hand of course they didn't give a rip about this guy or his hand they were using him because they had a plan and their plan was to plant this man on the front row, right in front of Jesus. So when Jesus stood up, he'd see the man's withered hand. And they said, Jesus is a sucker for handicapped people. When he sees him, he will have to heal this man. He can't help himself. And when he does, we'll stand and say, gotcha, you healed on the Sabbath day. You broke our law. And we will throw the book at him. The day came. The church was packed. This little guy with a shriveled hand is hiding his hand in his coat pocket. But when Jesus stands up, maybe he just kind of pulls it out a little bit so Jesus could see it. 
Whenever Jesus sees a handicap or when someone is in pain, physical pain or emotional pain, relational pain, he always wants to help them. If you're in physical pain or emotional pain today or relational pain, God has a heart to help you. He wants to help you here today. And so Jesus is right now in the middle of his sermon. And he looks down and he sees this poor handicapped man. And he has a heart to heal him. And just when he's about to stop his sermon to heal the man, he looks around and he sees every Pharisee and scribe in the synagogue salivating. He knows he's being set up. They're ready to pounce on him and throw the book at him. What do you think Jesus does in this moment? Mark chapter 3 says this. He looked around at them angrily and he was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And it wasn't necessarily the hardness of heart they had toward Jesus because he expected that. It was a hardness of heart toward a handicapped man that they dragged in from the streets. They didn't care about him. They didn't care about his handicap. They were using him. And Jesus, it's almost like he says, we are in a church. We are in a, a physical location, a synagogue filled with religious people who have robes and tassels on. They have a great pedigree. They have degrees in theology. And yet there's no love in this place. You've got the rules down. You've got the degrees down, but you don't have any love in this place. And it just grieved Jesus that religious people could be so devoid of love. The moment of truth had arrived, what would Jesus do? Jesus said, look, there is love in this place and there's love in my heart for this man. Verse five, he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At that very moment, all the Pharisees stood and said, gotcha, you healed on the Sabbath day. And the Bible says they went out together and plotted a way to kill Jesus. Scene changes. The synagogue empties out in just 15 seconds. And it was just Jesus and this guy sitting in church with his brand new hand. Can you imagine that? And the guy says to Jesus, tough crowd today, huh, Jesus? <laughs> I imagine Jesus said, yeah, I hate when that happens. But forget about that. Look at your hand. You got a brand new hand. You got a brand new life. What are you gonna do with your new hand? Are you going to plant a garden? Are you going to work as a carpenter? What are you going to do with your brand new hand? You have a whole new life ahead of you. And I imagine Jesus and the man walking out of the synagogue together, like a guy and a gal, when the guy just proposes to her and she walks out like this, showing her ring to everybody. He's showing everybody his brand new hand. What's the message here today? Jesus went after Simon the theology professor, because she had a head thing going on, but he didn't have a heart of worship for God. And Jesus went after the Pharisees and scribes because they had a rule thing going on, but they didn't have a heart of love for people. And Jesus says, look, real religion is when you love God from your core, from your heart, and that love radiates inside you and makes you love people. 
One time Jesus was asked by a very religious person, Matthew 22, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the scriptures can be combined in those two little statements, loving God and loving people. That's the essence of Christianity is that when people like you and I, listen now, have hearts that are alive to God in worship and hearts that are alive to love people. That's Christianity. So I want to ask you, is your heart alive today, right now, to loving God in a way that you want to worship him with your life? And is your heart alive to loving the people that Jesus died for. I want you to think about that question as you listen to this song.
about your life. Number one, do you have a heart that is alive to worshiping God? Every once in a while, do you get undone by God's presence? You're in your car listening to a worship song and you just have to pull over because your car has become your sanctuary and you're just getting wrecked by the presence of God. Or maybe when that song was being sung, you couldn't contain yourself. You had to stand up and show some form of worship back to God. When we sing a song like gratitude, all my words fall short. I got nothing new. All I can do is express my gratitude. So I lift up my hands and praise you again. All I have is a hallelujah. I don't have any rules to bring. Nothing wrong with rules. God's way is a better way to live. It's for our betterment. But all I have is a hallelujah. All I have is a heart of worship. Does anything ever get 
stirred in your heart when you worship the Lord? Are you alive to worshiping God? And then secondly, is your heart alive? He would ask, is your heart alive to loving people? It's kind of hard sometimes to love people in this messed up world. We have values going this way and that way, and we always have to be careful that we understand there's a greater spiritual battle going on, and the people are just the puppets. They're being manipulated. And Jesus calls us to love them and to try to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, my neighbor, uh, Costa, he's a Greek, and uh, he... Uh, he said, can we have breakfast, Pastor Luke? And so Thursday, we went to breakfast. He said, I got to tell you about my trip to Greece. He said, when I came to this church, Pastor Saeed and your dad, combination of those two led me to Jesus Christ. I've been part of a Greek Orthodox church. Rules, 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 rules. Jumping through religious hoops is all I ever knew. I knew nothing about loving God from my heart and being righteous from my core. When I finally understood that God loved me and I welcomed him into my life, my whole life changed. My entire family back in Greece is still part of that Greek Orthodox church. They know nothing about a personal relationship with God. And so I bought a ticket back to Greece. And I just returned. I spent thousands of dollars to gather my family all together in a house to preach one of your sermons word for word. I preached it to him in the house. And he said, one half of the family couldn't make it because of a tragedy, and my heart was so broken by that, but every member of the other half gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And now they know what it means to be righteous from the core. I asked the guy, he goes to Scottsdale campus, I asked him to pack communion in my bag. I gave him communion. The next day, I drove them all down to the, to the ocean. I baptized them all in water. And he said, I'm so happy my family has found the Lord. What I'm trying to say is, here's a man who couldn't give a rip about his family 15 years ago. But because God changed his heart and made him righteous to the core, now he's spending his money to go back and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loves people from his heart. Last week, I went to Wisconsin to deliver our check from our church for $150,000 to Convoy of Hope to help out with the, what they're doing over in, in Maui, helping the people who are victims of that fire. Well, I was checking into the hotel and, and the lady, she was a black lady, she said, wait a minute, did your dad check into this hotel four hours ago? I said, well, yeah, if you've seen the son, you've seen the father, we look so much alike. And she laughed and she said, your dad is one of the nicest human beings. When he checked in, he went across the street to get dinner and he asked me, would you like anything? Can I buy you dinner and bring it back to you when I come back? And that just really made a mark. It's having people on the mind all the time. That's what it means to have a heart that's righteous from the core. Is your heart alive today? to loving God and loving people. Now, for some of you say, Luke, I, I really believe mine is. I really am alive to worshiping God and I, my heart is really alive to loving people. But for others of you, you may say, Luke, the truth is you're not speaking my language. Man, my heart feels so cold and so unalive and so unresponsive to God and to people. 
and I don't want to upset your apple cart too much, but the, the issue might be that you have a dead heart. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. But the good news is you don't have to stay dead. Your heart does not have to remain dead. Ephesians 2, 4, Paul says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our transgressions. He can make you alive today through the miracle of regeneration. Now, what does that mean, the miracle of regeneration? It means that he can supernaturally touch your heart, your cold, dead, unresponsive heart, flip the switch supernaturally and make you come alive to God. Where you love to worship God and you love the people around you. It's kind of like if you were to walk out of here today and go out to your car, put the key in the ignition and crank it. If it didn't start, what would you do? You'd call a buddy over and say, hey, can you bring your very alive battery over to my very dead battery, hook jumper cables up. And when they did that, you would then crank the car over. It would turn over because an outside source has injected life into a very dead source, causing it to come alive. And the same principle is what Jesus wants to do for you. All of us came into this world with physical life. But until the miracle of regeneration happens through what Christ did for you on the cross, our heart stays cold and lifeless toward worshiping God and loving people. And it's only when God comes into your life and you say to God, would you take this cold, dead heart that's so unresponsive and would you make my heart alive today to you, to worshiping you and to loving people? And friends, when you do that, what happens is God changes your heart and you become full of worship for God and full of love for people and that's called 10,000 consecutive free throws in God's eyes. That's what it means to be righteous that exceeds that of the Pharisees because God has now made you righteous to your core, righteous to your heart. Oh, how God would love to do that work in you here today if you would just say yes to him. He's not asking you to walk on burning coals or to lay on a bed of glass. He's saying, would you just allow me, the one who made you, the one who died for you, would you just let me touch your heart today and give you a new heart? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads all across this place? I wonder how many in this place today would just simply say, Luke, what you just said in these closing moments resonated with me. And I need a new heart. My heart is cold toward worshiping God and and it's unalive to loving people. And I know I cannot finesse myself to do this. It has to be something supernatural. And so today, on this Sunday, I would like this day to be my spiritual birthday where God makes me born again, where he makes me alive to him and alive to loving people. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask for a show of hands who would just simply say, Luke, you're talking to me right now. I need a new heart. And I wanna ask God to do that work in my heart today. If that's you all across this place, just raise your hand. I wanna pray for you all across this place. Raise your hand. I need a new heart. I need God to regenerate my heart today. I'm tired of trying to 
finesse myself into doing the right thing. I want to be righteous to the core, righteous all the way to my heart. Just raise your hand all across this place if that's you. Thank God there's so many hands. You can put them down. Secondly, I wonder how many of you here today, you love the Lord. You've asked Christ to forgive you of your sins, but the truth is your heart has gotten a little bit cold. Maybe you've backslidden some area of your life and you feel your spiritual passion kind of waning a little bit to where you, maybe you don't enjoy worshiping God like you used to. Or maybe you're not loving people the way that you used to love God and you want to go back today to your first love. You want to say, God, would you fill my heart afresh with your presence and power today? If you're a Christian and that's your prayer, would you raise your hand all across this place? Say, that's me, Pastor Luke. That's me today. That's me. Thank God. Here's how we're going to end the service. You can all look at me right now. I'm going to ask in just a moment for every person who raised your hand, maybe for the first time for some of you, you're wanting to receive Christ as your Savior, and He's going to touch your heart today. Others of you, you're Christians, but you raise your hand because you need a refill. You need a fresh experience of God's presence in your life. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment as Adam sings this song, Gratitude, if you raise your hand for either one of those calls, I'm going to ask you to step out from your seat. I want you to walk to the front, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray that God touches your heart and regenerates your heart. This is your moment right now. Come all across this place. Just step out right now, all across. You raise your hand for either call. Just make a move toward God right now. Yeah, let's put our hands together and praise God for what's happening right now. Let's make it 100%. You raise your hand.